Years ago, uh, I gave this acquaintance a ride. He was hitchhiking, and I had come to know him because he worked at the delicatessen up at the Genesee Town Center. Uh, I don't remember the guy's name exactly, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call him Melvin. And uh, it was several years ago, and, and I remember uh, Melvin was a bit different. He seemed to be in a different place than me most of the time. But I would try to talk to Melvin and become his friend and kind of hope that I could tell him a little something about the Lord. But I remember this one day uh, that I was giving him a ride down the mountain. It was in the summer, and I was trying to make conversation, and Melvin seemed to have a really hard time talking. And so I said, hey, Melvin, uh, what are you going to do for the 4th of July weekend coming up? And, and, and Melvin said this, I'm, I'm not much into that. I'm not much into that after what they did to me. Those bleepity bleep commie sons of Freddy just went off like that. I remember I just sat there in silence for a while and I said, Wow, Melvin, who did what to you? And then that, Melvin told me how he had been abducted, hitchhiking through Kansas or Nebraska or someplace like that. He had been abducted by FBI, CIA agents, some secret task force, and they had surgically implanted uh, transponders, transmitters, radio, something or other in his brain, and that he could dial a certain number on the phone, and he could catch him sometimes, kind of spying on him, and there was some kind of code or something he could say. Something went off in his head, and it would set off fire engines and stop signs and things all around him. FBI, CIA, they were all watching him. He said he had it all figured out. They were monitoring every word, every move. We went on for quite a while, and I, I didn't know quite what to say. So I tried to change the subject, and I dropped Melvin off. It's the last I've seen of Melvin. And I want to be honest with you, I had a hard time believing what Melvin told me. I mean, it is, it's plausible. It's just that I doubt the U.S. intelligence community would be all that interested in every little detail of Melvin's daily life making sandwiches down at the deli. Right? I mean, what are the odds that there's a room down at NORAD or some such place called the Melvin Room and inside... There's all this high-tech equipment, men in dark suits and lab coats staring at monitors saying stuff like this. <coughs> Agent 009, Melvin Kislowski, status report 1153 AM. Melvin just asked Mrs. Kimbrell if she'd like mustard on her ham, Swiss, and rye. Affirmative, affirmative. Uh, he's reaching for the French mustard. It's French mustard. Stand down, stand down. Generic Dijon. Signing out. I mean, it's like those folks that are abducted by aliens, right? I mean, you've seen those shows where the aliens abduct them and they put transmitters in their, in their brains. I mean, that's plausible, but can we really believe that there are these highly advanced extraterrestrial beings that have traveled through space and time just to see what Maxine is doing down at the trailer park? Keeping a record. 3.31 p.m. Terrestrial Pacific Time, subject number 437B6. Maxine Baker turns on Panasonic television set, model number A426Y, and begins to watch Oprah, Nanu Nanu. I mean, can we believe that? 
Professionals might call all of this neurosis, you see. Neurosis, I looked up this definition. A mental disorder whose primary symptom is anxiety due to a belief that seemingly insignificant personal thoughts and behavior can have very extensive consequence and importance. Maybe we're all kind of a bit neurotic. Paul Harvey tells about Jackson Ward, this little boy in California, an earthquake hit. He began yelling to his grandma, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it! And we kind of chuckle at that, but I used to live in California. And it was my experience that after a big earthquake, people would ask this question, what did that have to do to, with me? As, as if their personal life actually affected the activity of the Pacific and North American geotectonic plates. What was that about? You know, ancient societies believed that an eclipse, when the sun would grow dark at noon, they, they believed that that had something to do with their personal commitments and devotions. The sky grows black at noon and everyone wonders, what did I do? Psychologists would say that's neurotic. neurotic and, and probably label Melvin as a paranoid schizophrenic with delusions of grandeur. Delusions elaborately systematized around Melvin's own sense of exaggerated importance. Delusions, for there is no verifiable connection between Melvin Kozlowski and the North American Aerospace Defense Command. Delusions of grandeur. Melvin exists in a fairy tale. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. In the fairy tale, an incomprehensible happiness rests upon an incomprehensible condition. A box is opened and all evil flies out. A sandwich is made and NORAD goes on alert. <laughs> Actually, I put that in there. Chesterton didn't say that. A box is opened and all evil flies out. A word is forgotten and cities perish. A lamp is lit and love flies away. A flower is plucked and human lives are forfeited. An apple is eaten and the hope of God is gone. That's nuts. Neurotic. I mean, imagine actually believing that a young woman could prick her finger on a spinning wheel and an entire kingdom would be put to sleep until a young prince came along and gave that woman a kiss. Or imagine that a woman could simply bite a fruit like an apple and send the entire world into chaos, death, and illusion until the prince came and revived her with just a drop of his blood. That's neurotic. What delusions of grandeur, right? G.K. Chesterton went on to write this, The things I believed most then, the things I believe most now, are the things called fairy tales. They seem to me to be the entirely reasonable things. For it is not earth that judges heaven, but heaven that judges earth. So maybe the sane are insane. And maybe the insane are sane. Maybe this world is like a forest of insanity. How does an insane person find his way through the forest? He takes the psychopath. <laughs> yeah. 
And what if the psychopath is the only way? Well, let's take a look at the Bible. That should help, right? <laughs> Joshua chapter 7. Um, we'll put it up here on the screen, but if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Um, you remember that Joshua is the story of God's people occupying the promised land. And I hope you're also aware that we are God's people and we have a promised kingdom to occupy. Not a physical country, but a spiritual kingdom, a kingdom of love. A kingdom of love manifest imperfectly yet already in God's people who are now called, loosely, the church. We don't battle Canaanites or flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, the world rulers of this present darkness, the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. We battle them for the territory of the human heart, for the human heart is like a walled city, sealed off in fear and shame, sealed uh, off, sealed to um, protect itself from the white-hot love of God. In Joshua 6, Israel conquers the first city in the Promised Land. Do you remember what that was? Class. Jericho, right. First city that Israel conquers, Jericho, and they do it in the strangest way. They do it with worship. On the seventh day, on the seventh time around the city, the seven priests blow the seven trumpets, the people shout, and the city walls fall down, and Jericho is exposed to the judgment of God. It's the eschatological, end-time judgment of God. In the Revelation, at the seventh bowl of the seventh trumpet of the seventh seal, the earth shakes, the sun grows black, a voice cries, it is done, and every creature is laid bare before him, and the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Well, at the seventh trumpet, Jericho is devoted. In Hebrew, the word is harem. Some Bibles say devoted. Some say devoted to destruction. Some say a curse. Some say under the ban. But it's all one word, harem. That's the noun. Haram is the verb. Harem. It means that Jericho is not simply sacked and burned. Jericho, her people and her goods, are sacrificed to God as an offering. Human sacrifice. Then chapter 6 ends with Joshua saying this really peculiar thing. He says, Cursed be the one who rebuilds this city. At the cost of his firstborn son shall he lay its foundation. What a strange thing to say. To redeem Jericho will take the price of a firstborn son. The revelation reveals that although God gave Jerusalem up to destruction, Jerusalem is to be redeemed along with the entire creation at the price of the firstborn son. He is the foundation. That's chapter 6. Well, now chapter 7. 
In chapter 7, Joshua sends spies to the next city to continue the conquest of the promised land. The spies come back from the city of Ai saying, hey, it's a cakewalk. Joshua, all you need to do is send 3,000 men, no problem. So the 3,000 men go up, 36 of them are slaughtered, they're routed, they run from the city. Verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel. And they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all, to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And so Joshua cries out, What's wrong? What did we do wrong? What's wrong? And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They Taken some of the devoted things, the harem. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Israel has become devoted for destruction. Devoted for destruction is that one word, harem. The NIV footnote says this. The term refers to the irrevocable giving over of things or persons to the Lord, often by totally destroying them. Next verse. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. They were to, quote, destroy some harem with fire, but other harem metals like silver and gold things that had already passed through the fire, there to be destroyed from the people by placing them in the treasury of the Lord. Did you get that? They're destroyed by placing them in the treasury of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the treasury in the temple. They're holy. That's Joshua 6, 19. Actually, listen to this. Leviticus 27, 28 says, Every harem devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. Do you understand what that means? That means that every man, every woman, every child in Jericho was most holy to God. Like treasure, like gold and silver are considered valuable to us. And this is what makes the word so hard to translate for us modern people. We would think that those things devoted to being consumed by fire, the harem, would be worthless to God. And yet the word implies that they are, in fact, his treasure. They are the offerings of greatest value. Next verse. Get up, Joshua. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. 
In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. The tribe of Judah, that's significant. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. I guess his confession was considered as praise. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them, and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So why did 36 men die? <laughs> why did 36 families experience that incredible devastation? Why did the people of God fail? Why did they lose their hope? Why was the eternal plan of redemption put on hold? Because one man, Achan, buried a robe, a wedge of gold, and some silver in the ground under his tent. Incomprehensible happiness resting upon an incomprehensible condition. <laughs> I mean, dang, talk about stories to make you neurotic. You know what I mean? You've got to sympathize with Achan. I mean, think of it. He's storming Jericho. There's chaos. There's blood. There's screaming children and fire and smoke. He, he breaks into some room, having lived 40 years as a nomad in the desert, and he sees a coat and some cash. No one will ever know. There aren't any transmitters in his brain transmitting things to central command. There are no extraterrestrials monitoring his every move. Could there be some logical connection between that and the welfare of an entire nation. Inconceivable, right? Does it really matter what you have buried under the carpet in your tent? Does it really matter what you have buried in the depths of your heart? Does it really matter what you guard deep within the walled city that is your soul. Well, what Achan took was devoted. God had said, the plunder of Jericho is devoted. Haram. The Arabs get their term harem from the same root word 
harem. If you know what's good for you, you don't mess with the king's harem. So you see, it's not that the cloak, the silver, and the gold were bad in and of themselves. Just like a spinning wheel or the fruit of some crazy tree is not bad in and of itself. It's what you do with those things. If you take them and possess them, it's what you do with those things and why. For they are devoted, holy to the Lord. Well, taking the devoted thing, Achan is devoted as well. He's devoted to God. And our God is a consuming fire. Achan is devoted to the judgment of God, the judgment that is God. And check this out, not just Achan. Through Achan's trespass, all of Israel has become devoted. God says, they, plural, have sinned, which makes you wonder what's under everybody else's carpet and everybody else's tent, right? Yet one thing is clear. The trespass of one led to condemnation for all. Now that should sound familiar, children of Adam. But now, if you're one of those that think neurosis is a delusion, check it out. The book of Joshua teaches that the entire nation of Israel was liable to destruction because of one man's devotional life. What was hidden in that secret, private place under his tent. And so the shrink may say to you, you're neurotic, as if that's insane. Well, it appears that there's some sanity to neurosis. Know what I mean? Even in the natural realm, one drink too many, an entire busload of children die. One cell metastasizes and the whole body has cancer. One finger pushes one button to one nuclear warhead and the world is annihilated. Even in the natural realm, but especially in the supernatural realm, for we believe that one bite condemned all humanity. And have you noticed it appears that everyone dies? You're all going to die! Because of one bite. We're a body and it only takes one bite, one cancer cell to infect the whole. And we've all had at least one bite, I know that, at least one sin. And the punishment for sin is death, devotion to destruction. Now I know what you're thinking. Hey, we're forgiven. We're, we're Christians. Well, make no mistake, there will be an accounting. Jesus said it. I tell you on the day of judgment, this is Jesus talking, men will render account for every careless word they utter. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. So you can just forget your silly little right to privacy, I guess. There is nothing more public than what you do in private, what you do with the devoted things. Devoted things like judgment. The knowledge of good and evil. 
God says, I'm the judge, not you. What will you do with the devoted things like, like vengeance? God says, vengeance is mine. In fact, Deuteronomy says that vengeance is stored up in the Lord's treasury. So in other words, you harbor vengeance under the carpet and the floor of your tent against somebody and you refuse to forgive and you wound this entire body. It's a devoted thing. Or worship. You shall have no other gods before me. You worship something else. It's a devoted thing. Things like salvation. Salvation belongs to our God. Do you think that you save yourself? Do you understand if you do, that hurts all of us, not just you? Things like church. Do you think that you build the church? Ow! <laughs> Jesus said, I build the church, Peter. It's a devoted thing. Things like sexuality. Your private parts be, belong to, to God. And, and did you know that nothing is more public than what you do with your privates? <laughs> That's where the public comes from, your privates. And so God said to the Israelites, I'm circumcising that thing and let it be a sign to you guys, that belongs to me, devoted to me. Got it? Cares about that. Things like possessions, you're a steward, all that you have is your makers. Actually, it turns out our lives are to be devoted to God, our very selves are to be devoted to God. Scripture says that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifices, we are to be consumed, even animated with the fire of God's Spirit. Every sandwich we make is to be made to the glory of God. Every program we watch on TV is to be watched to the glory of God. And everything we keep in our tent under the carpet really matters to Him. So make no mistake, there will be an accounting. Next verse. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before them. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. That means the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap, a heap of stones that remain to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. People are neurotic because deep in their hearts they know the truth. They've tasted the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You see, Melvin was more sane than most, for he was right in this regard. Somebody very powerful is listening in on every conversation. Someone extremely large cares about every thought. So Melvin's delusions of grandeur are not delusions. He is that important. 
For one day Melvin will stand like Achan stood in the valley of Achor, and one day I will stand, one day you will stand, and one day you uh, will hear something like this. In fact, maybe you could just close your eyes and picture it. You're standing in the valley of Achor, and a voice will boom. A devoted thing has been taken from me and is among the sons of Adam. Perhaps the voice will say, among the tribes of the north, and you're taken with them. Among the descendants of the English, and you're taken with them. Among the people of America, and you're taken with them. Among the people of Denver, and you're taken with them. Among the people of the sanctuary downtown, and you're taken with us. And every devoted thing comes to mind. Your judgments, your bitterness in your heart, your worship of false gods, every thought of lust and greed, and the voice is about to call your name, and a man steps forward. His name is Joshua. That's the Hebrew. In the Greek, it's Jesus. He looks at you like he looked at Peter the night he was betrayed. It's a look of absolute, undiminished, undiluted love. You see, the look demolishes the walls of your heart. The cock crows. You weep bitterly. And then Jesus speaks. Father, I have the devoted things. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He speaks, Father, I have the devoted things, and then he's taken. He's the sacrificial lamb. He's the scapegoat. He's the expiation, the propitiation, the sacrificial offering for the sins of the world. He became a curse for us, writes Paul. The sons of Adam pound the nails and hurl the stones, and you, well, there you see him. You see that he is holy. He is the sacrifice of utmost value. And so you throw yourself on him. Body broken, bloodshed. You know, they piled stones of remembrance on the body of Achan, his body and his blood. And you throw yourself, for you are a living stone. You throw yourself upon the body and blood of Jesus. You are a living stone being built into a holy temple on the only foundation that there is, and that is Jesus the Christ. It's a wild story. And you know, because Achan died, all of Israel was redeemed for a time. For all of Israel would still die. Because Jesus died, humanity was redeemed for eternity. And though we die, yet shall we live. For by a man came death, so by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, writes Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 through 21 through 22. So, so you've so you, you got to wonder, <laughs> God, that's incredible. 
but why do we have to go to the Valley of Achor? God, you're great, but why the Valley of Achor? Well, I'm not completely sure. But you see, it's in the Valley of Achor that we see him. It's there that he breaches the walls of our hearts, storms the gates of Hades, and makes us his bride, his new Jerusalem, his church. It's there he makes his church. Listen to the prophet Hosea. Speaking of his people, God says through Hosea, listen closely, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. He's speaking of his disobedient people. Bring her into the wilderness and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and I will betroth you to me forever, and you will know the Lord. A door in the valley of Achor. And do you remember what Jesus said? I am the door. And we know that he descended into the valley of Achor. It's in the valley of Achor that we meet him the Savior. But now, don't for one second think our transgressions don't matter. Because do you get it? Every time we're sin, we sin, we're saying, Jesus be cursed, for he bears our curse. And Paul tells us, no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. If you don't care that Jesus is cursed, you're lost. And condemned already, says John. And if you're a believer, but you keep your sins hidden in your heart, if you keep the stolen, devoted things under the floor of your tent, I, I hope you understand. Well, you see, it hurts us all. <laughs> because you give territory to the evil one and weaken the body, the whole body, if you hide the devoted things. And yet... Listen closely. If you confess the devoted things, confess your sin, you give glory to God in Christ Jesus who bears your sin, right? I'm trying to say that the living stones of grace are created in the valley of Achor. The living stones that build the church, the eternal temple, they are created in this world, the valley of Achor. And so in a moment, we're going to have a church building program. Is that exciting or what? We're going to have an offering of devoted things. So if you're thinking to yourself, I don't have anything to give to a church building program, well, let me remind you that the greatest gift you can give for the building of Christ's church is the confession of your sin. For the confession of your sin is also the testimony of God's grace in Jesus. We conquer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Now listen closely. I'm not going to ask you to make vows. You're not making a vow. I'm not asking you to make any commitments. Salvation belongs to our God, not to you. You couldn't follow through on the commitment anyway. So I'm not asking you to promise that you'll never sin again. 
I'm asking you to confess that you already have. This is what I'm asking. I'm asking that you would call upon and you would allow the Spirit of Jesus to come search your tent. Because <laughs> we have a really hard time with the things buried in our hearts. I'm asking you to let him search the floor of your tent underneath the carpet for anything devoted. Anything that you are hiding that belongs to God. So you might confess it. Now, if all of this sounds negative, you still don't get it. Because you see, there really could be no greater compliment. Soren Kierkegaard wrote this. No other religion has given such a profound and lofty expression of our significance that we are sinners. We are so significant to God that how you make a sandwich can merit His wrath and break His heart. We are so significant to God that He would die in your place to make it better and already has. You have no idea how much you matter to Him, bride of Christ and children of God. You see, I only come close to feeling this way about just a few people in this world, my bride and my kids. I mean, to be honest with you, I really don't care all that much if you sin and screw up your life. I don't. I mean, I should, but I don't. But my kids... When they do it, it kills me. And so, Melvin, keep taking your meds. Go to counseling. But, Melvin, the real problem is that you're not neurotic enough. It's worse than you think. And far, far better than you ever imagined. There are extraterrestrials watching your every move, demons, angels, but even more than this, God your Father and everything that you do, Melvin, matters absolutely to Him. You can make a sandwich with bitterness, Melvin, and you break His heart. In fact, His heart was crucified for the bitterness in yours, and His heart was crucified to redeem you. You are so significant. You are so important that when He died for you, Melvin, the sky grew dark and the earth shook, Melvin, because of you. And He set it all up, Melvin, for the love of you. You see, He brought you to the Valley of Achor so you would see the depths of his love. So Melvin, get so neurotic that you confess everything to him. Surrender your psyche, your life to him. Surrender your life and he will give you his. He'll turn your neurosis into worship and build his kingdom, his church. In Bogota, Colombia, there's a conspicuous site it's called the Church of the Penitents. It stands at an elevation of 10,400 feet. It was built 300 years ago by penitents that would each carry two bricks up the mountain for every sin that they confessed. <laughs> A spectator saw it and said, Look! The church that sin built! No! It's the church that Jesus built with grace. He built it the way he builds every church, with body broken and bloodshed in the valley of Achor. And so on the night that he was betrayed in the valley of Achor, he took bread 
And he broke it, saying, This is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You see, we are living stones built upon the body and blood of Christ, the only foundation built in the valley of Achor. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we're asking you now to search us, to try us. We've been terrified of you, but the word is that you are good, for you are the Spirit of Jesus, and he is the word, and we have seen he's good. So, Holy Spirit, we want you to build a church out of us, part of your great church. And so we, at least kind of, sort of, in a way, a little bit, want to surrender the devoted things. So would you search our hearts and would you help us see? I imagine some in here think that they saved themselves. Would you help them to surrender that devoted thing called salvation? Holy Spirit, I imagine some in here think that they are the judge of the world. What a weight. Would you help them to surrender that devoted thing called judgment? Lord, some in here, I I imagine that They're hiding vengeance under the carpet. There's someone that they just refuse to forgive. Oh God, would you help us to surrender that devoted thing for vengeance is yours, Lord God. You are the one that repays. And help us to trust that when you repay, it's good. Lord, maybe some, they want to surrender things like porn and alcohol and all kinds of stuff. I pray you'd help us to surrender all that stuff, but to dig even deeper. And maybe the thing that we're hiding under the carpet is rest. We want to control our rest. And so we use all those things to try to get rest. And Jesus, you are the Lord of the Sabbath. So we surrender that devoted thing to you. Search our hearts. And so Justin is going to play a song, and I don't want you to come forward to communion until the song is over, but I want you to just pray and let the Holy Spirit search your heart. No one's going to read what you write down, because I want you to write it down on that piece of paper. There's paper at the end of each row, and there should be a pencil, but during the song, write down any devoted thing that comes to mind any sin that comes to mind. 
I want you to confess it. And I want you to realize that Jesus has already suffered and, and died for it. If you're a guest and uh, you don't consider this your church, you don't need to do this. If you're a Christian, though, and you consider yourself a part of the church, do it because you're building the church. And then after you have communion, what I want you to do is place that piece of paper in this basket, okay? Don't sign the piece of paper. Just uh, place it in the basket. Don't fold it, nothing. Uh, I want you to make an offering. We're making an offering of the devoted things. Why? Well, because we are the temple of the living God. We are the living stones built into a holy temple in the valley of Achor upon the only foundation that there is, and that's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Justin's going to play the song, write down whatever devoted things come to mind. After the song, come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. The cups with the ribbon are wine, the cups without the ribbon are juice. And then after you have partaken of the body and blood of Jesus, I want you to just walk by the table and place the devoted things in this basket, okay? You're not paying for the body and blood of Jesus. But the body and blood of Jesus has given you the courage to surrender the devoted things. Amen.